When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Strange Familiars. How are you doing tonight, Allison? Doing well. Episode 399. It's like one of those birthdays that you can't ignore. It's like looming. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, neither one of us have a birthday that ended in a zero or a five this year, so we don't even really basically have to celebrate at all. No, you have to celebrate my birthday. <laughs> I expect lots of presents. It's not even for like some months. Tonight... I'm going to be talking with Maxim Furyk again. He was on not too long ago to talk about his Shepton book about the mining disaster. He's got a new book called Coal Region Hoodoo. So I'll be talking to Maxim about the Smurl haunting, Bigfoot in the Coal Region. Is Smurl a place? It's a, I believe it's a family name. Oh, okay. The Philadelphia Experiment and more. We'll talk to Maxim in just a bit. Before that, I want to thank our patrons... Thank you, patrons. Thank you for everything you do. Thank you for your help. Thank you for helping us make Strange Familiars. If you like what we do, if you like Strange Familiars and you want more, and you want to help us make the show at the same time, you can become a patron at Patreon, patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. All of our patrons get commercial-free versions of the weekly episodes as well as extra episodes every month. To find out more, go to patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. Before we get to Maxim, I want to mention, we mentioned this in the interview a couple of times, but just so everybody knows, I will be giving a library talk. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be talking about library. <laughs> I will be giving a talk at a library, something paranormal. I think I'm going to prepare a few different talks and just ask the audience. Like what, a, like a live-action choose-your-own-adventure. Kind of, like what do you want to hear me talk about because I'm not sure what to do. We don't have a uh, PowerPoint or anything, so it's just going to be a talk, kind of a relaxed thing. But you can come meet Maxim and you can come meet me and we'll have our books there we can sign and sell and everything else. That's going to be at Redland Community Library. Ever been there? No, is that near like Yoakumtown or? It's in Edders. Edders. Yeah. <laughs> Redland Community Library, 70 Newberry Commons in Edders, Pennsylvania, 17319. 
They are asking that people register, I believe. It's free, but I think they just want to know how many people are coming. And you can do that at yorklibraries.org slash events, or you can call 717-938-5599. And this is uh, kind of in between York and Harrisburg? Yeah, it's northern York County. Editors. Up where the Bigfoots are. Like that. <laughs> Been on several Bigfoot calls up there. All right, let's go ahead and talk to Maxim. I'd like to welcome Maxim Furick back to the show. How are you doing tonight, Maxim? Great, Tim. Thanks so much. And I remember the last time I was on Strange Familiars, we talked a lot about the Shepton mythology, and that was a lot of fun. So I guess we're going to switch gears a little bit and maybe get into Coleridge and Hoodoo this time. But, you know, thanks so much for having me on. Oh, man, you're welcome back anytime. I love talking with you. And we're we're not quite neighbors, but we're pretty close. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it's good, good to make that connection. Coal Region Hoodoo is your newest book, and that's from our friends at Beyond the Fray Press. Yeah, and Tim, I want to thank you for helping, for steering me in that direction. You know, I contact Beyond the Fray, and they got excited about the manuscript. So Coal Region Hoodoo, Paranormal Tales from Inside the Pit, was published uh, a little more than two months ago, and we're doing well. It seems to be resonating on Amazon and some of the book signings. So I'm excited. I'm just glad to be able to go and contribute you know, my research and my excitement about paranormal events in the coal region specifically, but also in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Because I don't know if your listeners know, Virginia seems to be an epicenter of the bizarre. I mean, there's a lot of paranormal things that, that are happening and have happened in our state. So, I, you know, I, Coal Region Hoodoo is sort of like a collection of some of those anomalies. Well, I'm excited to talk to you about it. But before we get into that, I just want to mention we're going to be giving a talk together. Well, two separate talks, but <laughs> at the same event at the Redland Community Library. That's 70 Newberry Commons in Edders, Pennsylvania. That's one of the York County libraries in the northern part of the county. Um, you'll be giving a talk and I'll be giving a talk and then we'll, we, we can hang out and answer questions from people. And if they want to uh, purchase signed books or whatever, we'll, we'll be there for that as well. Yeah, I'm looking at folks that may not be familiar with it. That's, I believe it's in between Harrisburg and York. I think that's where Edders is, uh, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, yeah. So down, uh, I think, Route 81, just before you get to the, to the 83 split, that's where it is. Yes, it's the Newberry, 70 Newberry Commons in Edders, Pennsylvania. They would like people to register, so you can call 717-938-5599 to register for that, and we hope to see you there. Right, and it's a free event. It's open to the public, so please, friends, and uh, love to see you there. Absolutely. So what made you choose the title, Coal Region Hoodoo? That's a good question. When I wrote my book, Somebody Else's Dream, that was the rock uh, biography, I was just trying to connect the song Timothy from 71 with the Shepton Mine Disaster of 63. And I had a chapter there called the Coal Region Hoodoo. It, what it was, was it was a chapter that just talked about all the strange and bizarre things that were surrounding Shepton. And then uh, after that book was launched, 
I just sort of like that title. And I, you know, I, and I sort of usurped it from Louisiana, you know, some of those folks. But hoodoo is an actual term. It, it sort of stems from voodoo, and but there's a, a difference. Voodoo is an actual religion from Africa, and it was transplanted in Louisiana and Mississippi. But hoodoo can be a religion or or not. But hoodoo can be both a blessing or, and so I use the term co-region hoodoo, and specifically it was with Shitan that, you know, with the minor, why was it that two of the minors received the blessing and they were rescued, whereas the one minor received the curse, and that is that we don't even know what happened to the missing minor in Shepton. There were allegations of cannibalism, but at any rate, we ne- they never dis- found his body, never found any bones, and we really don't know what happened to him, but I believe that he received the curse. That's sort of like a metaphor for life as well. We get our blessings, and then we have our challenges, and just the way life is, you know, so. Mm-hmm. But co-region hoodoo, and let me ask you this time, what do you think of the word? What do you think of that, that title, co-region hoodoo? I mean, it's very evocative, and hoodoo, as I understand it, is, or at least can be, and I'm I'm not an expert on this, but it's kind of more of a folk practice than voodoo. So, okay, correct. So okay, I, yeah. I, I like that aspect of it because it kind of draws in more of the the folk stories and the folk tales and the and the folk lore as well as the the other sort of things you're talking about. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's sort of nebulous. It's like uh, there's a lot of different ways to define it. But so coal region then is my metaphor for the book. You know, I'm, I, I start off with the coal region, but then I spread out to the entire state of Pennsylvania. And I talk about some of the motion pictures that were uh, unique to, uh, to Pennsylvania and Night of the Living Dead, mm-hmm. The Blob, The Philadelphia Experiment. And I wanted to talk about that at at some point, because this, I don't know if your listeners know this, but 2023 is the 80-year anniversary of the, the uh, Philadelphia Experiment, oh. which was just one of those bizarre accounts, that story that just won't go away. So I was um, kind of personally involved with the Philadelphia Experiment, and uh, as a former guy, I, you know, I wanted to include that in Co-Region Hoodoo. So there's a chapter there uh, called the Philadelphia Experiment that's just pretty interesting. So for those, I, I just have a, a very basic knowledge of the Philadelphia Experiment. I did read your chapter on it and, and learned a bit more. But for those who aren't familiar with it, what are the basics of it? What was it? Okay, so in 1943, according to the, the mythology, the folklore, the USS Eldridge, which was a destroyer, it was a newly commissioned destroyer, it was teleported from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to Norfolk, Virginia, and back. And supposedly, during this teleportation, there was this green-blue glow. Many uh, researchers came out and said that this was a secret government experiment that went awry. But what happened was, to the ecology, the sail board experienced terrible burns. They were confused. Some became insane. Two men allegedly died. But the part that I think that people remember mainly because of the the uh the movie and there were three motion pictures about the philadelphia experiment but the first one from 1984 it had this visual image of two men they were still alive but they were uh, partially embedded in the ship's steel hull mm-hmm. and that was part of that that uh morphing that uh teleportation thing and they got caught up in that in that mechanism so the uh, philadelphia experiment has elements of time travel and teleportation and invisibility, government cover-up, and uh, possible homicide. But there's just a whole lot of stuff there that just won't go away. And people keep on coming out and te- and adding more to the narrative. So, it's uh, again, it's a Pennsylvania-based 
story. And as I said, there were at least three motion pictures. Uh, you know, the first one was in 84. They had a sequel in 1993 and then another one in 2012. And there was also a documentary that was done by Glenn Ford. And Glenn was a uh, retired captain, uh, United States uh, Naval Reserve. And uh, he had a, a documentary called The Day Havoc struck and that was about the philadelphia experiment so that's a very obscure documentary hard, hard to track down but the uh, story is pretty bizarre you know there's a number of individuals who played key roles in it for example astronomer dr morris k jessup uh, was the main player there was a guy from new kensington pennsylvania his name was carl allen and he called himself carlos allende and he played a part albert einstein with his Unified Field Theory. He was one of the players. Admiral James Forrestal, who was involved with the alleged MJ-12 conspiracy. He was involved. And then there was a guy named Fred Tracy. And Fred lived up in Derry, New Hampshire. And Fred was friends with my cousin, Jim Furyk. And Jim was, an, uh, was a corpsman in the medic during Vietnam. He was living in Derry and met Fred Tracy. So he told me about Fred and said, yeah, this guy has information about the Philadelphia experiment. So I called Fred. I started to talk to him. And then this one weekend, I went up there to meet him in Derry, New Hampshire. And he told me the story and his involvement in the Philadelphia experiment, which I did document in my book, uh, Coleridge and Hoodoo. So where do you land on it in the end? How much is legend? How much has been exaggerated over time? Do you think something really genuinely strange happened there? Well, I think there might have been a, uh, a government experiment that went wrong. And what they did back during World War II, they had a, a technique called the degaussing technique. And it was a technique they used to keep the Allied ships, when they were going across the Atlantic now, keep them safe from German undersea mines. So these metal ships, they're like floating magnets. They have this magnetic field. And the ship that went over these, these mines, these undersea mines, acts like a, the ship would act like a trigger device for these magnetic sensitive devices. And it would explode the, the bombs and sink the ships. So degaussing, that was a, a process that was developed in Canada. And it was a process they would wrap these ships with electrical cables. And then they would go and pass an electrical current through the ship, the metal ship, and it would cancel out the magnetic field or the, the gauss, the uh, amount of gauss. So they would degauss the ship. Now, correctly done, this degaussing makes a ship invisible to the magnetic mines. The ship would still stay visible to the human eye, to radar, and to maybe any kind of listening devices, you know, like uh, underwater submerged listening devices, but it would make them invisible to these undersea mines. Mm -hmm. According to the Philadelphia Experiment mythology, they became invisible to the eye. They were teleported, and it just for seconds teleported from Philadelphia to Norfolk and then back. And during that time, you know, the horrible things happened to these men, especially the ones that were trapped inside the, the bulkhead. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people, I think one reason why the Philadelphia experiment doesn't go away is because of that 1983 uh, motion picture that has that graphic, or 1984 motion picture, that graphic uh, picture, that visual of those men's, men being uh, entombed in that, in that metal. So it was just uh, one of the uh, greatest horror scenes I've ever seen. So mm -hmm. Again, I just think that something happened. 
The gossing experiments were very common. You know, it was a common technique to keep the ship safe. I just think maybe they might have done something in Philadelphia. Maybe they tried something different, maybe more electricity. We're not sure. But there were people that came forward and said that they were part of this. They were involved. Certainly Carl Allen was the one person. And then also Fred Tracy, the guy that I interviewed. He had some good information that, and again, I thought that Fred was a a rational individual. You know, I didn't think that he had a uh, an axe to grind, and uh, he seemed mentally sound. But uh, he claimed that it actually happened, and he claimed that he had actual information that it happened. Wow, you think uh, we'll ever get to the bottom of it, or you think it's going to be one of those things that just kind of remains hazy? Whenever the government's involved, it's typical. Even in Pennsylvania with the uh, the Kecksburg UFO of 19- Oh, sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Kecksburg's in, in, in my book, Co-Region Hoodoo, mm-hmm. deserves to be there. But every time Stan Gordon or anybody tries to get utilize the Freedom of Information Act to get information from the government about Kecksburg, either the documents are missing and they can't find them, or the information that they get, the documents are all redacted. So there's no information there at all. It happened with Kecksburg. It happens all the time with Roswell. And we know this. So there's just a whole lot of government denial. And I'm not exactly sure. I don't know. I mean, and again, when we talk about the government, we're not talking about just one entity, but we're talking about the IA and black ops and the Navy and the Pentagon and the Air Force and everybody in between, contractors. And, you know, so when we don't get this information, you know, you have to wonder who is, you know, is being so paranoid and so protective of this information. I mean, who would be harmed by a release of information about the Philadelphia experiment and a uh, degaussing technique? So I don't know. I don't I don't know if we'll ever get to the bottom of it. But, you know, it's been 80 years and we're still still talking about it and trying to figure it out. Indeed. So having gone from being a a rock journalist to paranormal, writing about the paranormal, is that a permanent thing? Are you going to go back to writing (laughs) rock stories too? That's a great question. I'm a rock journalist. I mean, I love the rock and roll and like to write about it. And, you know, I believe that, well, you're a musician, you know, this music is transformative. I mean, it changes people. It's been responsible for all these movements, social movements, like civil rights and anti-Vietnam and just so many different movements. So music is powerful. But as I said earlier, I was trying to write a, a rock mythology connecting the song Timothy with the Shepton mining disaster. And in both cases, there were allegations, unfounded allegations of cannibalism. So as I was researching Shepton, I found out, whoa, wait a second, Shepton has all these paranormal elements. Like, for example, out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences, and uh, after-life experiences. So there are all these bizarre things, plus many more. So I wrote the Shepton book, but I don't know. I mean, I'm having so much fun. It's almost like the paranormal found me. It's almost like some energies were channeled through me. And Shepton opened up the doors to, you were kind enough, gracious enough to interview me a while back on Strange Familiars about the Shepton mythology. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote Co-Region Hoodoo, and here we are again. And I mean, I just can't thank you enough for what you do. And also, as an author, authors typically have a hard time finding a vehicle to tell the world about their about their craft. So this is great that not only am I talking to you, but I'm talking 
to all of your listeners who have a bit of an interest in the paranormal. So I don't know. I don't. I mean, I'm sure at some point I'll, I'll go back and write something, you know, some more of my rock and roll journalism because I love it and it speaks to me. But right now I'm having a lot of excitement and fun with co-region hoodoo. And even today, you know, we were number 15 on uh, Amazon's top 100 in their, I think it was their paranormal category, but something's happening. I mean, some people, you know, people are buying the book and it's resonating and I hope it continues, but, you know, things wax and wane. And uh, so we'll see what happens. But right now I'm just enjoying the energies and the people I'm meeting. And it's just amazing when I do my book signings, how many people come up to me and tell me about paranormal experiences that they've had oh yeah orbs that they see friendly ghosts of family members in their houses i mean so many things i mean not the dark stuff you know not the the spooky stuff but some positive stuff and as far as the the dark side i warn people about i tell them to stay away and this is my personal opinion but just stay away from things like ouija boards and tarot cards and séances and fortune tellers because i think they could be portals to something dark and I just think uh, some of us may not be strong enough to go and deal with that darkness. So personally, I just stay away from it because, uh, you know, it sort of uh, it sort of scares me. Yeah. Yeah. The, the way I often put it is, is if you can read about this stuff and that's all the further you need to go or, or listen about it, you know, on podcasts and stuff. I sort of recommend that people do that because there's a lot of different ways it can go when you start getting into it now i real i also realize there's some and i was one of these people it's never going to be enough for some people they're going to have to experience it for themselves yeah so i advise to be very cautious and careful if that's the way you go but uh if if you can just read about it and listen to it yeah, it's, yeah. that's a lot uh safer yeah, yeah yeah and i say this from personal experience i mean as a college student you know we had seances and we did a lot of uh questionable things it was just uh you know and and, and they were scary i mean mm -hmm. you know i mean i was frightened and i'll never do that again so we just put ourselves into like sort of like a very precarious situation but maybe you know live and learn i mean i've uh, walked away from that and uh, and hopefully i won't do that again there you go the other thing, I've, I've spoken with a Catholic priest, exorcist, and even Ed and Lorraine Warren, I had interviewed them. They were in town investigating the Schmurl haunting, and that's up in Wilkesboro, Pennsylvania. And that took place back around 1985. So a typical haunted house with uh, podergeists and, you know, uh, just uh, malevolent creatures, the collie being uh, teleported and thrown or levitated and thrown across the room, just a lot of horrible, horrific things, demonic voices, you know, screaming at them and, you know, profane demonic voices. But Ed and Lorraine Warren talked about evil and that evil does exist and uh, the devil does exist. Uh, the devil wants us to think that he or she is just a uh, maybe a fantasy creature, but evil does exist and uh, we need to recognize that. When I the priests that I've talked to who perform exorcists tell me that the power of God is stronger than the power of Satan. So anytime you're maybe challenged or you're apprehensive about this darkness, you know, I mean, just sur surround yourself with that God's grace and anything else, uh, you know, whether it's holy water or crucifix or the Bible, I mean, just something to uh, to steal yourself and to give yourself a little bit of, uh, I would call that protection. And, and I believe wholly in that. I don't think it's just symbolic. I think it's very, uh, you know, tangible. So again, my personal uh, belief. And uh, Understood. 
let's talk about this Smurl haunting a little bit. That was a pretty, it was ongoing for quite some time, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And what happened was, and again, the Catholic Church did not shy away from it. They sent priests there to spend the night there to listen to see what's going on. They sent in exorcists to go and purge the cloud, uh, the house. Uh, Jack Schmerl claimed that he was raped by a female demon, and uh, and I forget if that is a succubus or an incubus. I but, think it's a succubus. Yeah. Okay, succubus, and uh, just a whole lot of horrific things happened. So they brought in exorcists, and they weren't able to get the job done. So the bishop of that parish sent in for Father Trebolt from New York State, and he came down. And he'd had to do four uh, exorcists before they chased away the, uh, the spirit. I became involved in this in 1988. Ed and Lorraine Warren came to Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, and they were embarking on a 15-day city tour to promote their, the book The Haunted. And that was uh, written by Robert Curran. Ed and Lorraine Warren were co-writers, and this was all about the Schmurl haunting. So I was able to go and hang out with them take pictures. This was 1988. And I remember it was in Jim Thorpe. It was in July. So it was on a hot, steamy uh, July night. And and they were just wonderful people. They were Roman Catholics from uh, Connecticut. And then over the years, I kept in touch with them. And uh, Lorraine had a pet rooster. And you could hear the rooster in her her living room. And (laughs) when I was researching the Schmurl haunting, I would call them and ask them questions. And but pretty much what Ed was Warren would tell me is that when he would go into a place and he would do some invoke the spirit of either Jesus Christ or St. Michael the Archangel or Padre Pio to do battle with these uh, demonic forces. Interesting. And uh, so that's what he would do. They would demand that the uh, demon identify themselves. So again, if you don't believe in this, this is fine. But you know, a lot of us believe that there's a spirit world and some of those spirits could be demonic and they could be there to do us harm. And that's what Ed and Lorraine Warren were talking about. So they were the actually infamous. Uh, They have since passed, but all of the Conjuring movies uh, the f- whole Conjuring franchise is based on Ed and Lorraine Warren endeavors and the Schmurl haunting and Amityville and all the other ones. And there were something like six or seven motion pictures that brought in, I think it was $2 billion worldwide. And that Conjuring franchise is second only to the Godzilla franchise. But wow. uh, So uh, $2 billion worldwide, Conjuring, Conjuring 1. Annabelle, you know, Annabelle comes home, the nun, the last conjuring, the devil made me do it. So um, what's interesting is that people like some of this stuff as entertainment. You know, we like to be scared. And, you know, this gets pretty close to, uh, you know, to the dark side. I had a chance to see the the Pope's exorcist. It wasn't very scary, but it was very typical. And, uh, you know, based on a true story that happened in Spain. Mm hmm. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet. That's on my list of... Yeah, yeah. So this exorcist that they ended up bringing in, he was, I think he was a Capuchin friar, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He was from New York, and uh, they called him the Father Spooky, something like that. He did a course on uh, up in uh, the, the university where he taught. He did a course on spirituality and the demons. It was uh, Father Alphonsus Treble. So he was the uh, exorcist. He did. A, he had to do four... Uh, procedures for exorcist at the Schmurl haunting before he was able to go and end the uh, the haunting. But uh, the bishop was James Timlin, 
and uh, he was in charge of the diocese, and he summoned uh, Tribolt to come there because the diocese didn't have an exorcist, an exorcist that was qualified. Mm-hmm. So Father uh, Tribolt was pretty impressive. He was employed at St. Bonaventure University, and uh, just a pretty interesting uh, person. Yeah, uh, a fascinating chapter on him. I was very interested in that. Yeah, I, so uh, again, that's part of the Shmuro haunting, part of the co-region hoodoo, and part of what I call Roman Catholic mysticism. In co-region hoodoo, I have a chapter called Roman Catholic mysticism, that, and I talk about Pope John the Twenty-Third, who the uh, Shepton miners claim saved their lives, mm-hmm. claimed that the Pope had died in June of sixty-three. Shepton took place in August of sixty-three, and Tim, get this: in all three of the alleged miracles of Pope John the 23rd, all three of them happened after he had died. And uh, I talked to a Roman Catholic nun, She and I said, sister, did you know that all three of the miracles happened after he died? And she goes, well, of course. And I said, well, what do you mean, what, of course? She goes, well, Pope John the 23rd died, he went to heaven where he got his power, his authority, and then he came down and he worked his miracles. So that sort of makes sense. And then other folks will tell you that the miracles happen because God works through a person who is a holy person, a devout person, a person that has shown a lot of faith and good works and love of Christ. So that's how miracles happen. But Pope John the Twenty-Third, when he was canonized in 2014, Vatican scholars attributed Shepton as one of his miracles. Mm-hmm. And that was my first book. That was called Shepton, the Myth, Miracle, and Music. And then in Co-Region Hoodoo, Paranormal Tales from Inside the Pit, I took that a bit further. So I do talk about Shepton and, uh, and, and Pope John Twenty-Third, but I also talk about St. Teresa of Avila, who was a uh, Spanish mystic. She was a 14th century Spanish mystic, and she was around during the time of the Protestant Reformation and the Spanish Inquisition. And this is when a lot of people were going after Catholics, and they there was a lot of animosity towards the Catholic Church. But she chose that time to become a nun, and was St. Teresa of Avila believed that through prayer and meditation, we could reach states of rapture and ecstasy. And she talked about something called flight of the soul. And the Shepton Miners claimed that they had these out-of-body experiences where they actually uh, went through, levitated, were teleported up, and they could look down and see the rescue team working, trying to extricate them. But flight of the soul is what they experienced, and that was from prayer and meditation and just like wanting desperately to rescue from that that pit that was 330 feet uh, underground. So St. Teresa of Avila, I really enjoyed researching her and writing that chapter and just coming away with, uh, you know, it's one thing when you do the research, there are people that speak to you. Mm -hmm. And uh, St. Teresa of Avila was one that really spoke to me and just incredible individual that did a whole lot of things. So, um, Oh, yeah, yeah. On a personal note, you know, with struggle with meditation, and in particular, I, part of my practice, I'd say the rosary every day, and uh, with distraction. And it was some of St. Teresa of Avila's writings on meditation that sort of settled me and really kind of spoke to me I don't know. Sometimes it takes a number of things before you, you get through my hard head. And I think I think maybe she was the uh, the last hammer I needed to, to kind of break down a, a, a wall I was having. So definitely for me personally, she holds a strong place in my heart. I really enjoy her writing. 
Yeah. And, you know, as a human being, I mean, it's, you know, you're just like me and I'm just like you. And we need things like that to sort of shake us, I guess. Mm hmm. Yeah. You, know, you know, I'm glad you said that. But for your the viewers out there, the listeners, I too meditate. Like I every morning I get up and the first thing I do before coffee or anything else, I do my meditation. I give myself self-affirmations and I get into that safe place where I deserve to be, where I am loved. And then throughout the day, whenever the demons come at me, I try to get back into that little place. And that's where I'm safe. And here's the key. I mean, you don't have to take a pill. You don't have to take a drink. You can do it yourselves. And meditation is thousands of years old. It works. I mean, if anybody's dealing with anxiety or depression, or if the demons are coming at you, you know, there's a way to go and find a place of safety and tranquility. And meditation is really the way to go. So Google that and uh, find that place because we live in a, in a chaotic world with a lot of noise. And there's a lot of, you know, a lot of distraction and uh, a lot of anger, a lot of hatred out there. But uh, when we meditate, we get into that place where we're safe and immune from all that. And again, as human beings, we all suffer the same, you know, the same human condition. So meditation is one way to is to have a better quality of life. So that's I mean, that's why I do it. There you go. And one of our, our frequent guests and our own resident uh, Capuchin friar priest, Brother Richard, has written on it. And he's also helped me along my way. And he has a wonderful book called Still Points that okay. can also help with that. Yeah. Worth checking out. I'll check that out. Yeah. yeah. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. 
so we're sort of calling yourself a paranormal researcher, and then you sort of switch it to paranormal author. What's the reason behind that? Yeah. Well, I think, first of all, you know, with as, as being an author, you want to stand out and you want people to go and maybe take notice of you and then your work. So I was calling myself a paranormal researcher, and then I'm thinking, wait a second, I'm not. I mean, I don't go into these haunted houses looking for spooks or ghosts or demons. I don't do that. What I do is I'm, I'm an academic. I try to research the paranormal as an academic, as a, maybe as a scholar, a uh, student of the occult, and then write about it. So I'm not a researcher, but I'm a paranormal author. And I changed that because I thought calling myself a researcher was just too pretentious, and it wasn't really who I was or who I wanted to be. I mean, I'm not a researcher. I'm just a you know, regular guy who has a real affinity and fascination and excitement about the paranormal. And I approach it like an academic and always trying to couple the paranormal and the spiritual with the scientific. I believe that there's scientific reasons for all this. And even with the paranormal, I think that at some place in time, we're going to find out that whatever this strangeness was that we've seen this anomaly that it has some kind of scientific basis so we just need to find out what that is and you know keep on researching that so is there a difference between science and the paranormal in your view maybe not when you look at something with the scientific realm it's all cause and effect you know you drop an apple and you see the apple dropping and you know that the apple has dropped because of newton's uh, theory of motion and gravity so here you have cause and effect. You know, the effect is seeing the apple drop that causes the theory of, uh, of uh, gravity. With some of these other things, the anomalies, the lights, the orbs, the whatever, the apparitions, there may be a scientific explanation. There may be. But at this point, we just don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. We do know there's a lot of people seeing a lot of things. And one of my heroes is J. Allen Hynek. And Heineck, of course, was uh, the astronomer from the University of Ohio who was recruited to be a, a consultant for all the government's UFO projects, uh, Project Sign, Project Grunge, Project Blue Book. And what happened was he sort of had an epiphany. Uh, Heineck didn't believe, he was a doubter. He didn't believe in any of the flying saucer stuff and any of it. And uh, he would explain it away as marsh gas or, you know, whatever, uh, reflections mm -hmm. of Venus and all this other stuff. But at some point, he changed his mind. And there were two reasons for this. One, he claimed that the scientific community was being very disrespectful of people that were coming forward and seeing these lights in the sky and seeing all these other things. And the government, or not the government, and also the, the scientists were just writing them off as being mentally imbalanced or just needy. Hynek realized two things. One, that the scientists, scientific community was being very disrespectful of these people that were presenting evidence. The other thing was Hynek was looking at these people, and he, and he had thousands and thousands of reports. And these were people, Tim, just like me and you, they were average people that were seeing things in the sky. They were reluctant to report this because of fear of, of being castigated, but they saw things and they weren't mentally ill. They weren't people that really that were looking for attention because they were reluctant to be in the limelight. So Hynek discovered this and realized that there was something going on here that we need to go and take this more seriously. Now, it took decades. Around uh, 2020, the Pentagon started to admit that some of the flying saucers, the UFOs that they see, or now UAPs, 
that three percent of them they can identify what they are but they're encouraging people navy pilots and regular people to come forward and tell them what they're seeing without fear of ridicule and they're they've been very uh forthcoming in stating it that way so i don't know if this is a new government or a new way of uh, distorting flying saucers and i still use the word flying saucer even though you know it was uap unidentified aerial phenomenon and now mm -hmm. they're changing that to unidentified anomalous phenomenon so the terms keep on changing but it seems like maybe just maybe the government is being a little bit more candid about some of the things that uh, people are seeing so i like at least hope that this is what's happening my theory on that is, and I, I could be wrong, I have no inside information, but my theory is they're, they're simply crowdsourcing sightings. They're worried that China or Russia has craft, and they may know that they have craft that's beyond our capabilities, and they're trying to crowdsource sightings. Where are people seeing them? Where are they popping up? That's just my gut feeling on this, because the government rarely admits that they don't know something. Yeah, yeah. Well, what they're saying is with the, um, I was personally involved in this. I am a Vietnam veteran. I was a radarman ab aboard the USS Constellation. This is back in the uh, late 60s, Vietnam. And we would see, I would see bogeys. These are unidentified, tangible contacts, faster and more maneuverable than anything we had or the Soviet Union at the time had. And we would mark them in our logbooks as UFOs. Oh, wow. The range and bearing. And then, get this, most of us sailors were 20 years or younger. We mm -hmm. were just little babies fighting this war. They told us to shut up. Don't talk about what you saw. And then I would go through these logbooks and look at all these UFO sightings. And then the next day, these logbooks would disappear and they would have a brand new logbooks, wow. brand new entries. But that was back in the 60s. Now, flash forward to 2020 and the, and the Pentagon is saying, okay, well, we admit that 3% of these we can't identify and they're either ours or maybe russia's china's or iran's or they're extraterrestrial but we really don't know so i don't know i mean i don't know if russia and china has i'm not certainly not russia but i don't know if china has this technology that is so fast and with these terms that go so fast that uh, a human being couldn't withstand the g-force so i don't know i mean mm -hmm. i don't think i think it's it's something but it's something that we don't know and i'm not sure what it is i'm like everybody else i mean like i'm i hunger for that for that answer you know for that knowledge but i don't know and i do want to say this you know as far as the flying saucer thing i mean this summer my mission is to i'm reading every single book on flying saucers i could get my hands on oh wow yeah, right now I'm reading Corso's The Day After Roswell. And Corso, by the way, was born in California, Pennsylvania. And Corso claims that he was involved in the, the information, the material from Roswell. And it, it was his job to turn it over to these companies that would retro uh, reverse engineer it. Mm -hmm. So he claimed that he was doing this. So I'm reading that book, but I have a book coming out. It's called the Flying Saucer Esoteric, uh, History's Most Fascinating UFO Events. So I have something like 200 pages, and it's really pretty cool. So I'm just like immersing myself in this whole flying saucer mentality and reading this. And, you know, it's it's the whole field of ufology. And in Coal Region Hoodoo, I have two chapters. One's on the Kecksburg crash of 65. But also, I have a uh, chapter on the UFO enigma, 
and I talk about the current information on UFOs. But anyway, I'm having uh, with Flying Saucer Esoteric, it's just filled, UFOlogy is filled with people like scientists and hoaxers and people, uh, you know, the contactees and the abductees. And one thing that I found out, Albert K. Bender, the man who sort of gave us the uh, men in black mythology, mm-hmm. claimed that three men dressed in black with the fedoras driving Cadillacs told him to shut up or he would pay the price. Albert K. Bender was born in my backyard. He was born in Duryea, Pennsylvania. So here's another Pennsylvania boy that's, uh, <laughs> you know, that's pretty much part of the, the ufology. So, wow. Anyway, that's, I think I thought that that was pretty interesting. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I really love this. I, I call my book paranormal popcorn. I mean, there's just a whole lot of stuff there and, you know, we don't really get into the dark side, but I mean, it's just an interesting read. And Tim, I just can't wait for you to read Coleridge and Hoodoo and give me your, uh, you know, your gut uh, feeling about it. So, well, I've, I've, I read uh, several chapters today. I didn't, I didn't get to the whole thing. But I, I did read uh, the chapters on Bigfoot. I read the chapters on the haunting and uh, the chapter on the Philadelphia experiment. So a little bit more to go because it's, it's quite a, a thick book, which is a good thing. You got a lot of information in there. Yeah, yeah. And I was I have uh, over four hundred uh, references, and that's books, magazines, and personal interviews. And I was pleased with that. You know, I kind of like the way you roll out your books with the uh, footnotes. I mean, for me, when I read read your book, uh, I like the idea of the footbooks, footnotes because there you have you can immediately see where that material came from. Which I mean, I like to see that. Mm-hmm. You know, mine you have to go on the back and look through the references. That's maybe second best, but I think your the way you did it is just. And I told you this is just really uh, academically sound. I mean, I, I like that. So. That's all my co-author Josh. That's that's the footnotes were his department. Yeah. Okay. Well, tell him he did a good job. Yeah. He, 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 I think he loves doing that. I think he was always like, I'll handle the footnotes. I'm like, that's fine by me. Yeah. yeah. I just gave him the information and he'd plug in the footnotes. He's, he's very good with that. Well, speaking of my book with Josh, which was on Bigfoot, you've got two chapters on Bigfoot in here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. One is called the uh, Bigfoot Enigma. And then the other one is the Bigfoot Hypothesis. So I just talk about, you know, sort of the history and an overview of, Bigfoot. And then with the Bigfoot hypothesis, which is really exciting, I talk about some of the different, what the researchers are saying. And basically, and again, you correct me because you're the expert, but we could talk about physical evidence and the physical presence of Bigfoot. We could talk about Jung's psychic projection that uh, Bigfoot may be a psychic projection. Jung said that, but then he said, wait a second, maybe not. And then the other one is Einstein's wormhole theory. And Einstein was saying that there are bridges or wormholes that can connect a space-time continuums. So it's possible for an entity to travel from one end of this space-time continuum to another in just seconds. So one theory about Bigfoot is that Bigfoot may reside in a parallel universe, a parallel dimension, or may be interdimensional and uh, zigzagging, shape-shifting from our reality into theirs. So again, we don't know. One theory that I proposed was that Bigfoot was a religion and uh, that we need to believe in something. And I know this is like sort of like out there, and uh, but I think that was the last thing that I put in the uh, Bigfoot hypothesis that Mm -hmm. maybe that we need to believe in something outside of ourselves. And there was a song 
by uh, and, and with the Rolling Stones' Exile on Main Street, uh, Keith Richards wrote the song, I Just Want to See His Face. And he said, you know, don't tell me about God. Don't tell me about the miracles and everything else. Give me proof. I just want to see his face. And I think with Bigfoot and even with UFOs, you know, we want the proof. You know, we just want to see that face. <laughs> uh, I go out in the woods. I live in northeastern Pennsylvania. There's plenty of mountains here. I'm always searching the skyline looking you know for this shaggy creature and uh, a couple of weeks ago we saw this black shape where my wife and i were riding bikes and i'm thinking why and it's not moving i'm thinking man that might be a bigfoot and then it starts to move and here's this maybe 400 pound black bear oh, that nice. starts running and kept on looking back at us as we were riding the bikes and then finally disappeared but that must be a wonderful feeling of awe for these people that actually have seen both UFOs and also Bigfoot. I mean, it must be just such, such a wonderful, almost a sacred thing. Not all of us are able to, to uh, witness that. And I think to be able to do that is just something that is just like awe-inspiring and, and very special. So if that's you, if you've seen something like that, I mean, maybe there's a reason for it. Maybe there's a reason why we're put in that place where we see things like that. I don't know. It's, some of these witnesses are, are pretty shook. I know a few of them who would have rather not seen it. You yeah. Know, these were, yeah. these are pretty hardcore hunters that have been in the woods all their life. And they've told me like, I'm not going back out there. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it can shake people, but other people have very sort of positive. It, you know, it runs the gamut. Some people are, yeah. have very matter-of-fact exciting. It's like, oh, yeah, I saw it. And then other people get a very, like you said, almost a religious feeling from it, you know? Yeah, yeah. My neighbor, we went out to dinner a couple weeks ago. My neighbor admitted that he saw, just candidly, just very uh, nonchalantly, that he was driving out of the cemetery. You know, he was paying respects to it, to his uh, family member. And as he was driving out of the cemetery, going around the bend, there on the tree line, he saw two Bigfoot creatures. The larger one was black. The smaller one was cinnamon. And I, they started to walk like humans and turned around and looked at him, not out of fear or anything, but out of, he thought, out of curiosity. And he watched them and then they went back into the woods. Amazing. So, yeah, so my wife and I went back there, and there is, there's a trail there. I couldn't see anything, couldn't see any. This was like two weeks later, but mm -hmm. couldn't see anything. But I looked, and it's very woodsy. You know, I mean, and if you know, in Pennsylvania, uh, depends on who you talk to. Pennsylvania is either number three up to number 10 as far as Bigfoot sightings. So I think there's a lot of sightings in, in our state. Oh, yes. Yeah. And not, I mean, terribly unusual to see them around cemeteries especially rural cemeteries it get and quite a few reports of that yeah okay yeah i, I didn't know that but but we have the woods we mm -hmm. get out of philadelphia and pittsburgh and harrisburg and you got a lot of woods so. oh yes yes yeah. indeed yeah, yeah. We, we live in a lucky lucky place if you're into any kind of this stuff whether it's ufos or bigfoot or hauntings this pennsylvania is just full of it and it's so it, if you're interested in this you're in the right place yeah, 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 yeah. In Coleridge and Hoodoo, I put the uh, the zones. I uh, split Pennsylvania into four zones, and I was hoping that at some point researchers like you would maybe jump on that and maybe modify it or expand upon it or whatever. But it was just a way to go and take a look at some of the regions. Like, like for example, I wrote, write a lot about the coal region. Mm -hmm. so that's one zone. But also with western Pennsylvania and the area uh, known as Chestnut Ridge, which is uh, just outside of Pittsburgh, there's maybe a three, four county area 
a hundred mile stretch that goes down to West Virginia, where they see the most UFO and Bigfoot sightings and also Bigfoot sightings in conjunction with UFOs. Mm -hmm. So that's, and I don't, you know, I mean, do you have a clue as to what that is? I mean, it seems to be happening. When I first heard that, I just couldn't believe it. I was in disbelief, but Bigfoot sightings accompanied with UFOs. Yeah, it was the most difficult chapter to write in uh, Where the Footprints End. It's in volume yeah. two, my chapter on UFOs, because the short answer is I don't know, but it happens. You know, people are seeing these things, Bigfoot and UFOs, very often at, at the same time, or if not at the same time, within a day or so of each other, but in basically the same place. And my point was, you know, how rare is it to see a UFO and how rare is it to see Bigfoot? The fact that people are seeing these things together or even within a couple of days in the same area is very important and, and completely worth noting. And just to toss it out as, as a coincidence, to me, it's almost ridiculous. It's like, no, how rare are these two things? They're two very, yeah. very rare, unusual things. And if they're happening at the same time, you, you have to at least make note of it. You have to say, well, look, this happens. Yeah, yeah. But it, yeah, you had, you, and, and you documented so much of that in your, in your book. It was just a wealth of information. I mean, some, some good data there. I mean, it shows how significant this issue is, that a lot yeah. of people are seeing it. Yeah, and we, we weren't comprehensive at all. We were just giving examples. If we were going to be comprehensive, it would have been 20 volumes. There's so much of it out there yeah it's fascinating but you know again a short answer i wish i knew the connection but i don't know i don't mm. know that's why it was such a difficult chapter for me to write it was i really beat my head against the wall with that one like wh yeah. what do you say yeah, and i would tell your listeners too i mean i'm sure i don't have to tell them this but i would suggest that if somebody tells you that they they've seen something in the skies you know i mean don't write it off as being something that's just crazy or you know like unhinged i mean talk to them I and mean, see it may be something of significance it may be something of importance so, mm -hmm. and allow them to talk about it i mean there's i think a lot of people so many people are reluctant to come forward with their paranormal experiences because fear of being ridiculed yeah. and that's the main thing so that's the number one reason like i'd say maybe 20 percent of my uh, witnesses that i interview for the show will change their name and change their details and that's the number one reason they give it's like i don't want to be made fun of i don't want to lose my job or, or similar reasons like that so yeah it definitely happens and people are aware of it but one of my favorite things about this show is talking to witnesses and we have this sort of catalog of these experiences that we're building over time that will hopefully uh hopefully it will add to the the discussion on these yeah. subjects over time. You answered my question already about if you were going to write another book. So you got a book on the UFOs coming out. Yeah. And what do you think of that title? Flying Saucer Esoteric. Yeah. No, that's great. You think you'll be sticking with the paranormal writing another book after that? Well, we'll see. I mean, I'm having so much fun with it. I'm meeting so many people. And again, I, like I said, I'm approaching this as a scientist, as, a, as an academic. And that's what I bring to the fore. I'm not into uh, Eric Von Donneken and the ancient astronauts. Mm -hmm. I, I don't believe that at all, I, although it's very entertaining. And I've read all those books and I watch ancient astronauts on TV. You know, it's fun to watch, but it's uh, pseudoscience. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah. it's amazing that people get so excited about that. But well, well, again, that's the religion, too, that the Space, space Brothers come down here with their advanced technology <laughs> and not only are they going to build our pyramids in egypt but they're going to take care of us 
Right. So we don't have anything to worry about. The Space Brother, they got this. So if you want to believe that, go right ahead. And there's plenty, there's plenty of programs on TV about it. And I watch them as well, and they're interesting. But I'm, I'm not a believer in that. I'm a, uh, I'm, I'm a, again, I'm a scientist, mm-hmm. not a, not a, I'm not a Max von Donneken. So. <laughs> Well, Maxim, thanks so much for talking with us about Coal Region Hoodoo. It's available now, I guess, at, at all the places, at Amazon, and you can order it into your local bookstore. If people want to get signed copies, can they get them directly from you? Yeah, if they if they wanted to, and I'd love to do that. If you want to get a signed copy of Coal Region Hoodoo, just contact me on my website, www.maximfurek.com, and it's M-A-X-I-M-F-U-R-E-K. Dot com and I'd be glad to go and uh, hook you up with a signed copy. So that would be great. But Tim, thanks so much. This was real exciting, and I uh, really appreciate you know you having me on again on Strange Familiars. Oh, thanks. Uh, love your program. Thanks for coming back. And just to remind everybody, Maxim and I together will be at Redland Community Library, seventy Newberry Commons, Edders, Pennsylvania, on June seventeenth at one p.m. Again, I think they want you to call to register at seven one seven nine three eight. 5599. So I'll see you very soon, Maxim. Okay, thank you, Tim. Looking forward to it. And thanks for coming on Strange Familiars. Absolutely. Okay, thank you. Alrighty, before we get to our Curious Curiosity of the Week, I need to mention Maynard's GoFundMe one more time. They're moving him around from place to place. They're juggling him. He's trying to figure out where he's going to be staying. You know, he needs several things because all Anytime these... Anytime me- you move, yeah. It's... And medical issues and so forth. So he could really use help with his GoFundMe. Again, that's in the show notes at strangefamiliars.com. I just leave it up there. Just look for Maynard's GoFundMe. If you can afford to help him out, please do. And while we're mentioning stuff, I got this here pendant in the mail. It's got an eyeball on one side. I see that. What color eye is it? Let me see. Brown? It actually does kind of match your eye color. (laughs) It's got an eyeball on one side and Bigfoot on the other. Thank you very much. That came from Love Rocks Company. They have an Etsy shop. Etsy.com slash shop slash Love Rocks Company. So go check them out. Thank you so much. You know I love Bigfoot. Will he be at your talk? I know you said you get a lot of calls out there. I just wondered if you've secured... I'll see what I can do. Yeah. Can't promise anything. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I have been on a lot of Bigfoot calls up in the northern part of the county. There's a lot of wooded areas around there. Yeah, and it gets sort of the where the mountains get most mountainy, I guess, for in York County. Yeah. Up north there. I always forget that we have huge mountain ranges surrounding us and then it'll like, we'll, like, come over a valley and I'm like, "Oh yeah, we're we're near pretty big mountain ranges." So yeah. is it it's kind of near where one of the, like where Ski Round Top is, like that kind I mean, of That's area. up there. Yeah. I'm not that familiar with that part of the county. Yeah. You know, I I go up there on Bigfoot calls, so that's pretty much all I've ever been up there for. And to drive past, isn't that near where the donut that appears in the Zippy the Pinhead? It is. (laughs) That's a a deep cut. (laughs) The one panel of of the Zippy the Pinhead comic, which is probably totally politically incorrect anymore, but at one time was very popular. 
there is one panel where he's what sitting at a I, th- I think he's just it's just a scene i don't know if he's driving by or what but it's it's a scene and it's that giant donut along 83 although there there are a lot of areas like that in this area where and then you drive a little bit further and you and you would previously get to the rotating weightlifter weightlifting guy, guy. Yeah, a little which, further south a little further south which i don't think he spins anymore i think he's stationary yeah he used to spin around yeah when the kids were real young, I told him I was the model for that. <laughs> I think even as four-year-olds, they knew that was bullshit. <laughs> Watch your language. <laughs> it's a family show. That's right. What size leotard do you wear, though, Tim? Just out of curiosity. From my weightlifting? Yeah, from your, yeah. what kind of singlet would you be wearing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, don't, I have no clue. <laughs> was that the artist's discretion? Yeah. You were modeling that out. I was you. nude. He put the singlet on me. Yeah. For all of us. Because <laughs> when I model. <laughs> it's always nude. I, the only way I will model is nude. The curiosity of the week <laughs> this week. Somehow it seems um, in it, comparison to the, the statuary we were just talking about. A little tame? A little tame, yeah. But it's an owl. Yeah, it's a cute little owl. And you said it's pewter. I believe it's, I think he's pewter, yeah. You know what's interesting about this owl? There was another one just like it. Mm-hmm. And I had left it at Cador's Mushroom World, mm-hmm. the little fairy village over there in Cador State Park. Yeah. And someone came in and cleaned out all the little fairy houses and all the little statues and everything else. And so the other owl went with it wherever that stuff is. Wasn't like this. Isn't like a salt and pepper shaker. <laughs> no, no. no I just, you just happened to have two. Of them. Just happened to have two of them. And somebody took it and destroyed the whole. The whole Quidorce mushroom world is gone. Oh, it is no more. <laughs> but this owl lives on. And I, I don't know. Whoever took that down was a whole like fairy village gifting area. I'm wondering if they're having any re- repercussions, or just enjoying a bunch of. An instant collection of awesome <laughs> fairy and owl <laughs> memorabilia. So somewhere out there, the matching owl was was gifted to the fairies at Mushroom World in Cador State Park. I was going to keep this one for gifting, but I thought, you know, pretty neat. Uh, Send them out into the world. Pretty neat curiosity. So I will take a photo of this. I will put it in the show notes for this episode at strangefamiliars.com. If you click on that, it'll take you to our Etsy shop. Where you can purchase that owl and other curiosities of the week, those that are left. While you're at Etsy, check out our other offerings, including my new art book, Elzik's Farewell, the new Stone Breath CD, Grays and Orphans. The physical editions of the Entity Drift CDs are back in. So Grays and Orphans has the Strange Familiars theme on it. The full theme, I don't think it's ever been played on the regular show. I think I played it for patron shows maybe once or twice. It's much longer than what you hear. So it's got the full Strange Familiars theme, some other instrumentals, and some rarities and unreleased songs from Stone Breath and uh, me as well, Some a couple solo tracks on there. Entity Drift is all the ambient music I made for Strange Familiars, so the little kind of droney things that go from segment to segment, they're excerpted from much longer pieces. So Entity Drift is all of that music I did for Strange Familiars. So you can get the Entity Drift CD, you can get Stonebreast Grays and Orphans CD, my new art book, Elzik's Farewell, my other art books, Monsters Under the Hospital Bed and Apparitions, Illustrations of the Other, 
In fact, all of my books are there right now. Beyond the Seventh Gate, my first book. Don't Look Behind You, the follow-up to Beyond the Seventh Gate, can be read independently or you can read them together. They complement each other. Where the Footprints End, Volume 1 and 2, the books I co-wrote with Josh Cutchin on High Strangeness and Bigfoot, Bigfoot in Pennsylvania, Bigfoot West Coast Wild Men, the two books I did collecting old newspaper articles talking about what I believe is Bigfoot, The Witch Cloud, the book that we did to go with episode 300 of Strange Familiars Podcast. You can get that book there. All of the books come signed. You get them from Etsy. You don't even have to ask. I'll just sign them before we send them out. Strange Familiars t-shirts are there. We've got the regular classic blue Awoken Tree, and we have the glow-in-the-dark Awoken Tree t-shirts. The Flower Path t-shirts, we've got a few of those left for the other podcast. I really like that design. Artwork, prints and originals there. Photographs from Allison's vast collection of antique and vintage photography. And much more. A lot of stuff over at our Etsy shop. And if you shop at our Etsy shop, you're supporting the show as well. Helps us out. Our shop name is Lost Grave. That's one word. You can type in Lost Grave and it'll say, did you mean the shop Lost Grave? And Yeah, I did mean that. <laughs> or if you type in Strange Familiars, you should see our stuff come up there. While you're on Etsy, check out Chad's shop, Ruck Rabbit Outdoors. Check out our friends at Karmic Garden. If you're looking for comics... Make sure to hit Riverbend Comics. John runs Riverbend Comics with his partner, Sam. Anything else, Allison? I think that's it. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back soon with more Strange Familiars. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Color Arts, Intro and background music is by Stone Breath. You can hear more Stone Breath and purchase music at stonebreath.bandcamp.com. Of course, the new Stone Breath CD, Grays and Orphans, is there, as is Entity Drift, the dark ambient music I did for Strange Familiars. You can get the new art book there as well, Elzik's Farewell, and much more, stonebreath.bandcamp.com. Strange Familiars is on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars, where you can join the Strange Familiars Gathering Group. We're on Instagram, at strangefamiliars, one word, and you can find us on the web 24-7 at strangefamiliars.com.
but who is listening to me? And where shall I find me? And what is my name? It is my mother's son. Follow the hum Until all of my songs have been sung Thank you.
is my mother's son How long will I walk Oh, until I am done Follow the hum Till all of my songs have been sung inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.